Hello, I just want to welcome everyone to Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. Very happy today to be hosting Father John Rooney and coming from St. Gregory Grace Seminary for this afternoon of reflection and with um, the seminarians as well at the three o'clock holy hour. There'll be a talk, another talk at two o'clock. So enjoy the day and God bless you. Good afternoon, everybody. It was fun to see some of the names come up as different people were connecting into the system. But let's begin with the Our Father, the prayer our Lord taught us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to St. Gregory the Great Seminary. Uh, with this marvel of technology, we can be in many places and providing a program in different ways. Um, first of all, happy Easter. As we complete the octave of Easter where the church celebrates the whole week as a continuation of the day of Easter itself. So Christ is risen, indeed he is risen, brings us great joy. Today, of course, is also Divine Mercy Sunday and this afternoon's reflection is centered around that, considering the A, B, and C's of divine mercy, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, here at St. Gregory the Great Seminary, uh, we're blessed that we've been able to continue our community life. We got established as a congregate living situation so that the seminarians were able to stay here and we continue to have our liturgies and prayer together. And so for that reason, we don't go out much. And that's why I didn't even go to the retreat house to give these talks. We got to do it right here. For a lot of people I wanna thank in this effort, Father Coulter, who's put up with me and changing some of the arrangements of the retreat. Um, I wanna thank Zach Selig, one of the seminarians from the Diocese of Pueblo he made the great mistake of saying, whatever you need, Father. And so he got roped into the technology and he's helping with cameras and microphones and, and managing the production from this end. When we get to the holy hour, we'll be switching between two different computers with different cameras and microphones. And so you'll see his name coming up on the screen when we switch to his computer, just so you know, that's legit. That's, that's not, a, a Zoom bomber coming in. Today we will talk in the three talks about the A, B, and C's of divine mercy. And the A is ask, and that will be the destination of this talk as we get through some of the, some background information. The B is about be merciful, and the C is about complete trust, complete trust in God and his mercy. And as I prayed about this, my goal is to help you, and of course me too, 
to grow in our connection with our Lord Jesus Christ in the divine mercy, to be more able to participate and receive what Jesus is providing for us, what he explained and expressed in his teaching on divine mercy to St. Faustina. A little bit of the history, the divine mercy message course is not new. It's actually part of the heritage of the church and all of salvation history reflects divine mercy. But the explicit teaching about divine mercy came between 1931 and 1938 to then Sister Faustina Kowalska of the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. Sister had not yet made her perpetual profession before Jesus started visiting, with, visiting her with his message of mercy. And after her perpetual vows, she was translated to Vilnius where she continued to receive and much more of these mystical experiences had the help of a generous spiritual director who guided her and helped her to listen to Jesus and to do the things that Jesus was asking her to do, to communicate that message. She wrote that message in her diary which is available in print in a book entitled Divine Mercy in My Soul. There's also a very handy little booklet that the Marians of the Immaculate Conception put out. It's called The Message in Devotion, and it's a nice summary of the book and contains a little summary statements of all the different elements of it. After Sister Faustina's death in 1938, the devotion started to spread there was a priest from the United States that brought it here and devotion started to spread here. But in 1939, it was called to a halt when the Holy Office banned the Divine Mercy devotion. What happened was that the information they got in Rome was erroneous, poor translations and misinformation. And based on what they heard, they felt it could not be legitimate in the church. But as time went on, uh, better translations were provided, better information was provided, and largely through the, the, the then Cardinal Carol Wotia, the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith came to accept this new information and remove the ban in 1978. And then as things would happen, Pope John Paul I died, and he was elected Pope later that year. He stated early on in his pontificate that he considered the message of mercy to be his special task to help promote it. In 1993, Sister Faustina was declared a blessed, was beatified in the church. And then in 2000, on the Sunday after Easter, Pope John Paul II, now a saint himself, canonized Sister Faustina, declaring her a saint. He also proclaimed that day that the Sunday after Easter, henceforth, would be known as Divine Mercy Sunday. So he was fulfilling the request that Jesus made to St. Faustina in some of his visits. Of that day, Jesus said, I will pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the fount of my mercy, the soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. I'd like to make a special note 
talking about that a little bit because most people are not able to fulfill those requirements um, during this time of social distancing and isolation. So it's a couple of things are useful to consider and one of the handouts that you'll be able to get from the website um, talks about that, drawing from a, a page written by Father Chris Alar, who was the director of the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, that, and they're the ones that promote the devotion to the divine mercy. Kind of a place to start with that might be this statement of our Lord uh, given to St. Faustina. He said, the graces of my mercy are drawn by means of one vessel only, and that is trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive. Souls that trust boundlessly are a great comfort to me because I pour all the treasures of my graces into them. I rejoice that they ask for much because it is my desire to give much, very much. In that description of Divine Mercy Sunday, our Lord said, receiving Holy Communion, receiving the Sacrament of Confession, and of course asking for that grace. So we'll talk about the value of asking in a little bit. Where you can't receive Holy Communion, he Father Chris Alar suggests that you make a spiritual communion. It's a prayer by which you ask Jesus to come into your soul as if he were coming to you in the sacrament, to come and fill you and, and join himself to you and you to him. That's a very rich tradition in our church to have that kind of a prayer and that request of our Lord. With regard to the sacrament of confession, um, going on a rescript from the Holy See from the um, sacred penitentiary when the indulgence was attached to observing the, the practice of Divine Mercy Sunday, a plenary indulgence was attached. And in that, it said that the condition to receive confession is within a few days, meaning 20 days before or after. That's a rather generous span of time, actually, from, I guess, the way I learned growing up. Um, so perhaps you may have received the sacrament within that time, but if not, we can come to the Lord and ask for pardon apart from the sacrament. We don't have the assurance as when we hear the words of absolution that our sins are forgiven. That's the great blessing of the sacraments where the outward sign tells us of the inner reality, the spiritual reality that is being provided for us. But we can ask for pardon and particularly, the church says that if we ask with our motivation being out of love for God, rather than disappointment or fear of punishment, um, then even mortal sins can be forgiven. And so the encouragement is to make as best we can an, an act of contrition, a prayer of sorrow, with that motivation out of the love for God whom we've offended, whose friendship we value and do not want to jeopardize. And then the third part of what Father Chris Alar gave in that article is, then we want to ask. And so in that, he provided a prayer, and I, I typed that up in that handout that's there uh, to ask, even though I can't receive communion, I beg for this grace. Even though I can't get to confession, I'm sorry for my sins, and I ask for this grace of you. How can we ask for more than the outward possibilities of the sacraments can provide. 
Well, it's because we as humans can only provide what's provided for us in the authority given to us in the church. So as priests, we can provide the sacraments according to what the church provides. But God is not limited by that. And especially on a day like this, when we're hearing the tremendous mercy of God, uh, we entrust ourselves to his mercy to go beyond the things that may contain us, the restrictions that keep us separated and away from the sacraments so that we can uh, receive the boundless mercy that he tells us so urgently that he wants to give. We started today with the Our Father, and the um, presentation of the Our Father in St. Luke's Gospel is followed by teachings on prayer. And I'd like to follow up with that. After teaching the Our Father, he continued, suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey, and I have nothing to offer him. And he says from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give him the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to him the door is opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish, or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In teaching his disciples how to pray, he give, gave further instructions on how to pray and to do it, to ask, to ask, to seek, to knock, and to ask perseveringly, and to ask with that confidence in asking Confidence of beggars. I don't know if you've noticed that. People who really beg well they have this confidence that they can obtain from you what they need. And we come that way before our Heavenly Father with that trust. But we might ask, why do we need to ask? Why do we need to tell God what he already knows? We know how he knows everything. We trust that he cares about us. So if he sees us in our plight, why doesn't he just take care of it? Why doesn't he just get rid of the problem, solve the issue, heal us in our need? Well, we might ask, do we really want his help? And that may seem obvious, yes we do, but how often do we tend to go it on our own? How many times do we even ask, but actually really take care of it ourselves? Because we're really not expecting help. And in a certain sense, we don't want it because 
we don't want to be helpless. We don't like to have to depend on anybody. And perhaps we might even really not trust that that other person, including God, will be there for me. Whether it be because I feel I'm not worthy, or perhaps other reasons of my experience, I've been let down, or maybe actually hurt. You know, when perhaps I have been vulnerable, opening up to somebody, and others have hurt. Very often that happens even in the youngest years with well-meaning parents. But from that young time and with that hurt, without other tools, without other resources or people to rely on, we can easily decide, so often people decide, I'm not going to get hurt like that again. I will do whatever it takes to avoid being hurt. I won't depend on anybody. I will take care of things myself. And that's where our self-reliance begins to grow. But it's not that just that either. The reality of original sin is there as well. It's important to recognize that there is an enemy when we discern, like in the rules of discernment of St. Ignatius Loyola, we look at whatever the movement of our heart, our mind may be, we discern that spirit as it's called in that literature. And is it from God? Is it from ourselves? Or is it from the enemy, the third voice? The third voice was who was talking to Adam and Eve in the garden. The message that he gave was, God is holding out on you. He's withholding from you something that you deserve, that's part of your destiny, that would fulfill you. You have an option to be like him. All you need to do is take the free fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they went for it, didn't they? Other things, too, it was delightful to the eye. But nonetheless, they chose that path. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that in that moment, they let trust die in their hearts. And we remember that we inherit our humanity as it was left by them in that disruption in that flaw, in the effects of original sin. So asking for help then is an act of vulnerability. It's an act of trust because we have to trust that helper. And it can be difficult for us. Trusting is actually very difficult at times. God waits for us to ask, to respect us. If God came in to fix whatever our difficulties were without our asking or consent, in a way, wouldn't he be violating our freedom, stepping in and taking over where it was left for us to make free choices? St. Augustine once said that the God who made us without our help will not save us without our consent that God has made it so that as free people, he leaves it to us to choose if we want that which he offers. And so it's up to us to express that somehow. 
How do we express our willingness to receive, to accept the gift that he wants to give us, to welcome it into our lives, to let him help us? That's where the asking comes in. Just as we would ask a friend whom we would trust to help us in our need, it's for us to ask our Heavenly Father to assist us and Jesus in his great mercy to help us. In the diary it says, Souls that make an appeal to my mercy delight me. To such souls I grant even more graces than they ask. I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes an appeal to my compassion. Then he tells us to beg for mercy for the whole world. No soul that has called upon his mercy has ever been disappointed. I just offer a few scriptural patterns where we have this presented to us in the scripture. Get down to that page. Just to think of some of the ways in which this asking is shown in the scriptures. Remember the healing of the ten lepers. They came up to him and said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Or blind Bartimaeus, sitting by the side of the road, hears that Jesus is coming by and starts yelling out, raising a fuss, Jesus, Son of David, have pity on me. Then there's that Syrophoenician woman. And this is worth thinking about. Uh, I'll leave that as a reflection for you in, in the time in between. Jesus went into that pagan community and this lady not from the chosen people comes and asks for him to heal his daughter. She had an evil spirit. And Jesus said, it is not right to take the food of the children and give it to the dogs. And at least in our culture, I find that a little off-putting. Perhaps you do too. Was he insulting her, calling her a dog? But notice how she responded. She didn't take it that way at all. She says, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. And in one presentation on this, I read that it's claimed from that perspective that she made an argument that she had a right to receive his mercy. She didn't back down because she had that confidence. And she held to her claim. And then she won through. She received it. Jesus, of course, knew what she would do. And he called out of her this powerful expression of faith and trust. And she asked and received. So perhaps in a little bit of time, I know Father has uh, some prayer in between these talks, but perhaps to take a little time with a reflection on the scriptures. In the handouts, there's a sheet called Prayer Suggestions, and it's just to invite you to take some time to ponder the truth of the scriptures, to listen to the word of God and to take it in. I offer some suggestions there for how to do it if you're not familiar with a, a pattern of meditation, because um, there are several within our Catholic heritage. But to look at this passage of Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, and the Syrophoenician woman and her confident claim on the mercy of God, she asked and received.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end.